Good evening, LCM. Tonight is August 25th, 2022, and we would like to start this word off by expressing our overwhelming thankfulness to Adonai for his sovereign hand, leading us to be together in this house. The title of tonight's message is This Is How We Do. Sound Booth, play that song. Oh, we're going to have a good night tonight. It's going to be that kind of night. This is what happened when the, the house of God is filled with thankfulness for the call of God. We're going to talk about how we do what we do. On Sunday, we tackled, and the pastors helped us, tackle our own anxieties and address them with pinpoint laser-like precision in order to watch them get annihilated under the feet of the faithful in this house of God. Do you want to praise God for that? Yeah. We will continue to stop and stomp these imposters as we get back to work. Amen. We will grow from being pros at being anxious. I want to suck at being anxious. Yeah. And, and mature to become pros at hearing the word, doing the word, and then teaching the word of God. Amen. Come on. Are you guys okay if we review how we're going to stop and stomp these enemies in our hearts? Well, good, because that's what we're going to do anyway. Come on. We want to show you a slide from Sunday's message. Look, we're going to put a stop to prearranged pretension by being earnest, showing spudazo. Spudazo. Speed and urgent effort. To stomp every thought and pretension that exalts itself against God and each other. We will put a stop to premeditated injustice by demonstrating eagerness to clear ourselves of our own justice and stomping on it with right actions that line up with the justice of God. Oh, come on. We're going to put a stop to presumptuous myths by engaging with the real indignation that stomps out imaginary arguments or contentions that only exist in your head. We're going to replace this with the reality of having a great burden to overcome your own sin and the transparency needed for others to join you in that victory. We're going to put a stop to prescribed alleviation that seeks immediate relief of your ailment, discomfort, or weakness, and we are going to stomp it with the fear of God That will lead you to look to the Father as the only source of healing. Mm, No anxiety in here. We will put a stop to preloaded outcomes that cause us to operate in perpetual faithlessness regarding relationships. And stomp it with strong affection and a strong faith towards God. That anxiety is getting evicted in the house of God. We're going to put a stop to predetermined expectations that are just fantasies for the future and stomp it with fervent zeal for the real work of God that he is apportioned to you. We will put a stop to predicted failure, that you aren't cut out for this no matter how hard you try. And we're going to stomp it by swiftly executing justice on this anxious and demonic mindset by getting to work in your God-given mezuzah. Look, stopping and stomping these internal and external enemies will give clarity and a pure-hearted devotion to function within your mezuzah. Do you want to function in your mezuzahs? Yeah. Well, this is how we do. Adonai is helping us to remove anything that is mixed within our mezuzah and is marring its effectiveness in this church. So when we bring up the topic of mezuzahs, we are leading you to discover and display that what your God-given function is But it's not just your sole individual pursuit. It's not about you and you alone. Remember, it's not a me Zusa or an I Zusa. It is the design that God has given you to aid and strengthen others as he's created you. 
In addition, God has designed our mezuzah to work together as one collective mezuzah. Each and every mezuzah in this church has been handpicked by God to be interconnected so that the mezuzah of this church is fully accomplished. Come on. Did that revelation hit you Sunday when we really rediscovered what we've already known? That we have a collective mezuzah in this house to accomplish? LCM, we have been actively stopping and stomping these anxieties. And we have seen the ways that you are annihilating them as well. Let's revisit Philippians 4, Philippians 4, 4, to refresh your memory and set the tenor for tonight. (laughs) All right, turn with us to Philippians 4, 4, 4, 4. (laughs) Says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Man, not your wife, not Facebook, to God. And the shalom of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Church, We will not be anxious. Yeah, that's right. Instead, we're going to replace that with rejoicing. We will continue to stop and stomp our fears under our feet because this is how we do. Let's keep on going in verse 8. Church, say, this is how we do. Before we pick up in verse 8, I just want to thank Brother Linton for giving us an education on how to say 4 verse 4. It's fo-fo. And you don't say stomp. It's stomp. And I'm on people's sake. You guys ready for verse 8? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received, received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And... The God of peace will be with you. Church, tonight we want to say that one of the purest, most noblest things that we could and we will do tonight is meditate on God's promises to Abraham, who is the father of our faith, because that is how we do. As you turn to Genesis 15, we want to set the, 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 the lights, set the stage, All the scene the for what we're doing right now. We got brothers that have been called from Missouri, from the Philippines, all the way from Egypt, Puerto Rico, even Podunk, Port Arthur, Texas, and the illustrious Port Lavaca. We got Port Lavaca, Port Arthur, and I guess that makes me Porta Potty. (laughs) Yeah, we're still tipping in Port Lavaca, just saying. (laughs) That's where we've come from. But what's happened and what is happening here is that God plucked us from out of those places and whatever dump you came from, both physical and spiritual, and he's given us something to look at. He's given us vision. And it's not, he didn't start it with us. We're not the first to this. We're following in a long line of men that, that God has done this. And let's start with the first. Genesis 15, verse 4. As we read this, Let's engage with the word. Come on. Let's, let's meditate on the scripture even as we're covering it tonight. And I promise you, it's going to bless your perspective and your life. On, then the word of God, the word of the Lord, came to him. This man will not be your heir. But a son coming from your own body will yeah. be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. Yeah. If indeed You can count them. If you even can, try to count the stars. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. This is our scene for tonight. Are you kind of putting yourself in Abraham's position? Yeah. You came from an, uh, an obscure place too. And God has called you to a vision that is Way, way, way far above what you signed up for. 
Think about Abraham looking at those stars and trying to count them. I mean, I don't know how many numbers there are in the, in the Hebrew language, a lot more than ours probably. But think about what it would be like to try to count stars. Can you picture what Abraham is seeing as he's gazing up into the sky? Maybe he tried to count them. Maybe, th- maybe he just stood there in awe knowing that it was impossible to count all of them. Yeah. Like, how could, where do I even start? I lose track. Then the Lord tells him, so shall your descendants be. So shall the, the offspring from your body. And he doesn't even have a son yet. Wow. Can you imagine the gratitude and the wonder that must have filled his eyes? Yeah. Is that filling your eyes? It's filling, filling some of our eyes with tears as we meditate on it and we think about it. What God promised to Abraham. Church, God is filling our eyes with vision as well. Yeah. We want to encourage and strengthen this body. That, that's our goal tonight. To have an attitude of thankfulness for being allowed to be a part of this vision. And to be strengthened so that we can be, have a renewed awe for the promise of Abraham, national Israel, and our little flock yeah. that has been myster- mysteriously invited to play a part in it. Amen. When we look at this map behind us, look at the map. Everybody look at the map. Yeah. Look at that map and think about the individual lives that are going to be touched. Some of you have been to places on, on that and you've gotten a taste. And it, it, it changed everything about the way you lived. But look at that map and think about the individual lives, the families, and the entire nations that will be touched by the gospel. Think about the fact that some of your children and my children, a few generations from now, are not going to look like me. Praise God. <laughs> Maybe they look more like my wife. But more than that, they're going to look like something altogether different than what I came up with. They're going to look like something that comes from those nations because God is planting us in those nations. You got that picture? I mean, if it takes you a little bit, meditate on it because it's meant to change us. It's meant to change the way that we live our lives and the way that we see ourselves. God has called us to something that is so much higher, so much more awesome than what you or I would have have picked for ourselves. But in his graciousness, in his goodness, that is what he has done to the people that that have found themselves right here on Belknap. Yeah. What we are seeing, it seems almost impossible. Look at the map again. We got Iran, Iraq. We got countries I can't pronounce (laughs) that are not really friendly to you. But we're going to have our descendants in those nations because God has said it. What we are seeing seems impossible. Just like Abraham must have felt. I can't even begin to count the stars. I can't even begin to to consider what it would look like to have a hundred families in the Middle East. We're going to have to rely on God just like Abraham did. Yeah. Now, it's kind of difficult for some of us city slickers in the room because if you were to walk out of this building and look at the stars, you, you don't see very many. Refinery lights for me. But I've been there in the desert of Israel with a few people in this room. I remember we stopped on the side of the road and just looked up at the stars. And it's amazing what you can see in a, in a rural area. It's amazing what you can see out in the same desert that Abraham was probably in. If you're interacting with this passage, you might be imagining what Abraham was feeling in that moment. Blessed. I mean, he came from Haran, for crying out loud, and just blessed that God had even brought him to this place. And now, is God, now God is dumping on him a revelation that is so magnificent so out of the ordinary, so just grand in scope that Abraham must have been feeling the awe, but also the disparity between where he is now and what God had said. You see, that is how God speaks to a man. That is how God speaks to a church. That is how God speaks to us. He reveals something that is so far out that you can't help but to feel the gravity of it all, all at once, to see the beauty of it, to see the enorm- the, how enormous it is, but also know that I can't do this in my own flesh. I must rely on God and everything that God puts in my path to accomplish that. We would like to share with you that Abraham was probably not the only one to receive this kind of revelation. 
Turn with us to Acts 26, verse 12 through 18, and we're going to see Paul interacting with the Lord in the same way. In Acts, this is how we do. In Acts 26, Paul is speaking before a king, and he's on trial, and he's giving testimony to what God originally spoke to him when God called his name. If we start in verse 12, Paul begins by saying, On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. I want to tell you that LCM has seen the light. We have seen it fall around us and all of our companions as God has revealed his will to this body. Verse 14 says, we all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, not in Aramaic, in the Hebrew language as the Greek so plainly says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you. Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What you are reading is essentially Paul's mezuzah as Christ is speaking it to him. And just like Abraham, can you imagine Paul traveling on the road and then all of a sudden he's going to persecute Christians and then God reveals himself to him and says everything that he will accomplish in his life. You see, just like Abraham, the vision that Paul received was glorious. It was also impossible for Paul to do. And it was unimaginable to Paul previously. Can you imagine him thinking, I'm on my way to persecute Christians, and now God, how, how will I be accepted by the community? How will I be accepted into the body? How will I build up the body which I once tried to destroy? But you know, just like Abraham, this call warranted faith. This call immediately implied that Paul needed to have faith in the God who had called him, and that, God, that Paul would have to rely on the God who can perform the miraculous. But do you want to know that this is not all that God spoke to Paul? He's leaving a couple details out in front of the king. But there's more that God spoke to him that he's not saying here. Let's explore it. Did you catch? There, there is something missing in Acts 26 that accompanied this great call that Paul was given from Jesus. And you find it in Acts chapter 9. This is Acts chapter 9. In verse 15, uh, where we'll pick up. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Catch verse 16. This was the missing piece. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul not only had a great promise mezuzah and calling that would benefit the body paul had the benefit of hearing from the lord exactly how this call would occur in his life paul knew that his mezuzah was beyond his ability to perform by himself but he also received the most important tool on how to carry out his mezuzah what was it suffering paul must have immediately formed a this is how we do mentality towards this gift When he was given his call, and he knew, I will be a light to the Gentiles. I will be a light to Israel. I also know that I'm going to have to suffer to see that happen. That's my vehicle. This is how we do. So knowing that his suffering would propel him towards his mezuzah, it produced the attitude that we see in Philippians 1, 27. Let's go to Philippians 1, 27. Say, this is how we do as you go there. This is how we do. This is how Paul did it. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, 
I will know that you stand firm in the faith, in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. And that by God, for it has been granted, it has been granted, gifted, given to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. It's been granted to us, church, not only to believe, not only to trust, not only to, to trust in him and his spirit, it's been granted to us also to suffer. You know what that means? You know what something being granted to you means? It's a gift. It is a gift of God that he has given us so that we hit the mark. Just like Paul received that gift. Just like it was to Abraham. They were given an impossible task. These things caused these men to grow in dependence on God to see the work accomplished. And they used their God-given gifts well. The gifts, like the multiple gifts of suffering, allow us, train us, and propel us to walk in the promise of God. Anxiety. Anxiety is replaced with a longing to suffer because our eyes are fixed on the promises of God. We're not surprised when we suffer. It has been granted to us to suffer so that we would reach our intended target. Anxiety is stomped out by an expectancy that our hardships, they have a purpose. We're not doing this in vain. Our hardships will bring us closer and closer to the goal, just as Paul saw it. Anxiety is defeated by faithfulness when we cannot be deterred by temporary loss. The enemy is taunting in front of us temporary loss, loss of this, loss of that, even our own lives. We cannot be be deterred by that because we know it is the vehicle. It is the portal by which we attain eternal promises. You see, when you know that your calling is impossible, do you know that, church? Yeah. Yeah. Have you been painfully aware of how impossible your calling is? Like I have, like we have? Then you know that it's going to take hardships and sufferings to bring that about. So let me ask you something. Do you want your calling to come about? Yes. Shouldn't that merit a desire to want to suffer? Shouldn't that merit a desire to want to have the gift of suffering? See, when you have that attitude, it replaces anxiety completely. You're no longer anxious about hardships, sufferings, and things that you have to go through. You're looking for them. You're looking to go through them because you know what they will produce. And you know that from Genesis throughout the entire Tanakh, it has always been sufferings that bring about the promises of God. Does that change kind of your attitude towards suffering and hardships? See, Abraham, Paul, and the saints throughout the ages have been intimately aware of the cost that comes with standing on the promises of God. When you believe the promises that were given to Abraham, you can be certain that suffering and hardships await you on the road to the heavenly Jerusalem just like it did every man of God before you. This is how the gospel got from Abraham to you. How do you think we're going to get it from us to there? It's going to have to be replacing anxiety with a longing to go into the hardship and suffer well through it. Consider what men of God and women of God had to endure so that you could hold that Bible in your hands tonight. Think about all the hardships, all the difficulties to put a Bible in your hands so freely. Don't pity them. It was their glory. Mm -hmm. It was how the promises came about. Church, it'll be the same for us. Centuries from now, there will be things added to men and women's lives in the kingdom that will be, have started what we, uh, what we began here at LCM or in the one association of churches, or I guess said a better way is what we've continued. Church, we must never forget that what was given to Abraham is the same promise that we've been grafted into. We've been grafted into the promise given to Abraham. This promise has stood the test of time. All the powers of hell have tried to stop it, but they've been unsuccessful. Church, when you stand 
on those promises given to Abraham, on the promises God has given to you, all the powers of hell are going to try to stop you. But it will be unsuccessful. Church, this road is marked with suffering. It'll always be accompanied by supernatural provision, though. It'll always be accompanied by the Spirit's power, and you can be sure of that because the Word of God declares it. Ezra, a man who we've studied, a man who we've gleaned from his life, he's a good example for us to follow in order to prove faithful in building Adonai's kingdom. He was a forerunner to us, and he, even Ezra, was just continuing the work that was first promised to Abraham. And we are following his example so that we might continue the work, because this is how we do. Go to Ezra 7 and find verse 10. Ezra 17. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord, and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Now, let's remember, Ezra's grandfather was Hilkiah. Yeah. And what did he found? He found the book of the law that yeah. Moses had. When, we, when you possess the word of God, when you hold it and the promises of God, then you have a rich inheritance to pass on to our children. And that's yeah. what we're striving to do. Ezra grew up in captivity, but he also grew up knowing the law of his God. He was taught the law of his God. This led to his eyes being full of vision for Jerusalem. Not talking about what he could see through his natural eyes because that was pretty bad. See, he had the vision of the Lord because he had the law of the Lord. This led him into many sufferings. And through all of the sufferings that surrounded his life, he did the work anyway. What does that tell us about our lives? Are there things that, that God is, is using to discipline and hone you and shape you? Absolutely. Me too. But this is how we do. This is, this is not you on the wrong track. This is showing that we are on the right track. And we're learning how to pick up, spa- pick up pace and pick up thankfulness and joy. Because we see that the same way that he did it for the saints of old, he is doing it for us. He is treating us as his children. You see, men who study the word, who do the word, and teach the word, they're well aware of the sufferings that accompany the promises of God, and they are more than willing to go through hell and back because they know what lies ahead of them on the other side of suffering. How do you think Paul can preach in Acts 14? We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Where did he get that from? Paul got that because he studied the word. Because he did the word, and he taught the word. He understood from looking back all the way to Abraham that if we want to enter the kingdom of God, if we want to enter a swan, if we want to enter in our mezuzahs, then we have to go through many hardships. I want to give you just kind of what's been going on in my life. Many of you are well aware that I injured myself about six weeks ago. And I'm not calling that suffering. I'm not saying it's persecution but I will say it does hurt. I know I did this to myself, but it still hurts. And I've been faced with an opportunity. Do I sit there and complain about what I did to myself, or do I find ways to glorify God through it? You see, through all of this, there's something that I struggled with I did not know I had inside my heart. I love to accomplish things in my own strength. I live off of it. I thrive in what I can accomplish in my own strength. When I see something's not being done fast enough, I say, move out of the way. I will do it. And I begin to struggle because I can't do anything. I can't even get up or put on my shoes. So I begin to struggle with, I don't feel like I can accomplish anything, Lord. But you know what I forgot? My mezuzah. I had forgotten that my mezuzah is not bound by my physical limitations. You know how I found that out? reflecting and whining to the Lord about my physical state and reflecting back on the last five weeks, I realized something. That in this physical limitation, God has breathed a fire in me for the Word of God. I have been devouring the Word of God like, like, like I just yeah. can. And I look back and I saw that the Lord enabled me to use my mezuzah more because I could not rely on my own strength. I was actually led into conversations with people 
that I was exercising my mezuzah and using that gift. You see, church, Adonai knows how to make his servants effective. Yeah. Even if that means he makes you ineffective in an area you prefer in order to steer your heart to be devoted to the things he designed you for. The Lord knows how to bring suffering in your life at just the right time where you don't think it's a gift, but it's the best gift you can ever receive so that he can show you what he's called you to do and show you how to walk in it while relying on him. See, the suffering is good for us. It is granted. It is a gift that God has given us. In terms of return on investment, suffering turns a greater profit profit than comfort ever will. Relying on your own strength will do nothing for your calling, but actually going into hardships and replacing anxiety with the opportunity to suffer, man, that'll produce an exponential level of growth. I love Treaster's testimony, and I've been moved by it ever since he got injured because I've seen the word of God ooze out of him. His calling bursts forth, and it's affecting every single family in this church. And if it hadn't reached you just yet, you're in this room now, and you're welcome. Treaster is a man of God who stood on the promises of God, and we are seeing it in full display, maturing and growing. And it's worth glorying in the Lord over. Because Adonai knows how to make his servants effective. It's not by our own strength, our own volition. We, we can't put forth enough effort to make ourselves effective. We have to put forth the effort and trust God to make us effective. That's why we're talking about Ezra. And we're highlighting the way that he studied the word. He did what the word said, and then he taught the word. Because you could look at Ezra's life and say, he's a captive. His city's been destroyed. The whole nation is in disgrace. Man, look at all of his external circumstances. I'm not saying they weren't bad. I'm saying that they were absolutely horrible. But there is something happening that we miss. Ezra is putting something into his heart. That is what defines him as a man. And the external circumstances are just a vehicle. Those external sufferings and difficulties, they're just the thing that draws out what he's been cramming inside of his heart all along. That's why we see such clear vision in him. When the sufferings come at him, he says, no, I know exactly what God has promised in the word and it will be done. And this is how we're gonna do it. I will do my part and I will not be moved from it. Church, knowing that an expectancy to suffer will fuel your fight against anxiety, it should cause you to desire to fill up what is lacking in regards to the sufferings of Christ. We should desire to suffer for the Lord in any situation, any opportunity we have, so that what we are putting into our heart might be put on display for the glory of God. Knowing that your study of the word fills your eyes with vision should cause you to be diligent to show yourself as a workman approved by God who can correctly handle the tools of the kingdom. When you have confidence through hardships and the word of God, this will cause you to rise up and build. Why? Because this is how we do. Remember this slide from Tuesday night. If you weren't here on Tuesday night, we're going to articulate this very briefly so that you get a little bit of context, and Justin Treister is going to help us with that, because he made this slide, and it's incredible. Thank you, Justin. So if you remember on Tuesday night, do you remember us going through where the construction started and how they progressed around the city of Jerusalem in a counterclockwise fashion? Do you remember that? Do you remember where they started? They started on that north, northwestern part of the wall. Well, we ask the question, why did they start there? That's an interesting question, but when you remember, if you uh, study the history, you can see that this is exactly where the Babylonians attacked first. That they started building exactly where the Babylonians attacked first because they did not want to face the same situation again. See, what we learned Tuesday night is that we must start rebuilding where the enemy last attacked us. The last places where the wall came down, where it was dilapidated, that's where we start building. You go to the hardest, the most vulnerable first. Wherever anxiety or fear is breaking through, that is the area that we need to secure. We're not to ignore the enemy's attacks. 
just like pretend like, oh, it didn't happen, or oh, it wasn't that bad, or, you know, oh, it just got fixed with that, that, that one encouragement. No, the, the encouragement highlighted what you needed to go and put work to and also call your brothers to work alongside you. Yeah. Here's a very practical way to examine where this can be applied. Have you taken the time to build up the areas that were attacked and had to be addressed in your last team meeting? What we mean is the encouragement that you got at your last team meeting. Have you taken the time after those encouragements to go and build up scriptures around those areas? To go and, and put a wall, a fence around those precious areas, around your wife, around your children, the things that, that you were encouraged with. You have to go back to the last place that you were attacked and build up that wall. Oftentimes, from somebody, I don't know who, oftentimes, <laughs> mere worrying about the doing of a thing or wanting to do it, like really wanting to do a thing, has actually distracted me, I mean uh, us, from doing right. said thing. You're just running yourself ragged instead of going back to the last place where you were attacked. Well, you know what? God has just opened my, I mean, God has opened our eyes to what we must now do. We go back to the last place where the wall was torn down and we build from that place and we build with zeal. We build with courage and we build with the word of God. Let's go to our next slide. Uh, real quick, go back to that other slide. As you're looking at this slide, where's the temple located in relation to the city of David. Is it on the south side or where is it? On the north side. You might be asking, why did the Babylonians attack in that specific location? Why did they choose that? I mean, there's geographical uh, inferences, but why specifically the north side? We want to show you our next slide. You'll remember this from Tuesday night as well. You see that the temple was on the north side of the city, but within the temple... The altar was also on the north side. You see, the Babylonians attacked the north side first. And honestly, that's, that's where the enemy has been always attacking since then. That's where the, the enemy has been attacking every person that has decided to stand up for the will of God since this moment. You see, what's happening is that the enemy wants to destroy the altar of sacrifice in your life. The enemy wants to destroy your altar of sacrifice because he knows that your sacrifice will bring about the promise of God. He wants to get in and ruin the sacrifices that you're making for the kingdom. Ruin your perception of what the hardships will cost. The enemy would rather see sacrifices stopped. Say stopped. Stop. Or ruined by anxiety than to allow the promises of God to be fulfilled. You see, this is exactly where the enemy attacked first. That's because the enemy knows that if we can sacrifice as a people, if we can suffer together as a people, if we can build together through hardship as a people, then the promises of God will happen. And the enemy is trying as hard as he can to ruin your sacrifices. Also, this altar is to include sacrifices for the nations. This temple is supposed to be a house of prayer for the nations in Isaiah 56 verse 7. You know what else the enemy knows? The enemy knows that if he can ruin the altar of your heart, if he can ruin your sacrifices, then the nations will not be prayed for and the nations will not be reached. The enemy would love to destroy your sacrifice and your temple because he, he knows that they lead to the nation's salvation. Think about that. How important is it the next right sacrifice that God requires you to make? How important is it to do it with joy, knowing that that right sacrifice will eventually lead to the salvation of the nation's church? Don't let anxiety come in and cripple your altar. What a response to the enemy's attack. When he tears down your walls and he seems to get the victory, that when he comes back the second time, it is a fortified wall. Does it... Rouse your spirit when you think about the enemy trying to take those things that are sacred to you. Like the altar of your heart. Now think about it in your wife's heart. Or anyone who has little kids. I'm going to be alright. 
It's one thing for the enemy to come after me. I feel like a shepherd, and it's expected, and I'm ready for it. Is River ready for that? Man, so much time building my own life, building my own call. Changes my zeal when I think about building a wall around my daughter's life. When I think about the Ereginas and all they've actually suffered for the gospel, how important it is to build those areas where they've been infiltrated or anyone in this body. It's worth us considering that where the enemy is last attacked, it's also likely where he's going to return to try to attack again. We have an opportunity tonight to stand together and help each other build to protect those sacred areas of our hearts. Church, are you being moved? Supposed to. Our zeal is rising. Our zeal is rising. So that the work of God would be accomplished in our lives, but we're just the foundation. In our children's lives. And not just for me, not just for the Lintons, but for the Parsons, for the Treasters. Is your zeal rising for the work of God, LCM? Yes. Participating in the work on the walls will be full of moments where our position is trying to slow us down or trying to get us to stop the work. This must be expected. But you know what? We're stronger together. I, I was struck by the fact that so many of the anxieties that the pastors addressed on Sunday, they had to do with how we deal with one another. They had to do with how we deal with our fellow workmen, the man that's supposed to be helping us close the gap in the wall so that our, our, our families can be protected. Church, we must let nothing get in between us. Nothing getting between the points in our wall. We are building this wall together, church. And we need each and every last one of the pieces of that wall. Because a wall could be great. But if there is a two-foot gap in between the wall, you know what? That wall is going to come down. We're not going to let that wall come down. That's right. Every church, I mean every family, every man, every husband is rising. He is cooming. He is rising to stand in the gap that he is supposed to. And if you're not yet, you're going to be by the end of the service. We're stronger together. Yeah. We are better when we build together. Yeah. Through suffering and hardship, we will see our section of the wall, the promises to this church, furthered. We cannot be led to let up, back up, or shut up. We can't be led into that. You know why? Because we know how to do what we're called to do. We're called to press into the suffering. Yeah. What has been entrusted to us is unshakable. Let's always work to remind each other of the promises that fuel our faithfulness yeah. during hardships and suffering. Hebrews 12, 26 through 29 say, this is how we do when you're there. This is how we do. Verse 26, at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Church, tonight, God's promises to Abraham are unshakable. Yeah. They will happen. God's promises to Paul and the first century church, unshakable. God's promises to LCM, who is grafted into that original promise via our corporate mezuzah, unshakable. Yeah. What God has called this church to, unshakable. That is because God's promises to Israel are unshakable, and we are participators in them as a corporate body. The Lord is shaking out of us everything that can be shaken. He is a consuming fire that is burning up what does not belong in us individually. He is doing this so that corporately we may participate 
as a corporate body in our mezuzah. Church, we are participators in the collective call of the body of Christ. To live together, to die together, and sometimes both. We will endure together as one body, suffering together as one body, growing together as one One body, and we will be unshakable together as one body. Now let's take a look at how Paul addressed the first century church. This is going to be 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to pick up in verse 14, and you can say, this is how we do as you're turning there. Verse 14, now the body is not made up of one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Oh. It would not be for that reason, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. As you sit here tonight, how God has made you to function in this body is exactly how he wanted it to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but only one body. This body is made up of many beautiful callings and many beautiful giftings. Your mezuzah, though, is not just for you. Your family calling is not just for you. It's for this body. That's why God called you to this body, so that your mezuzah could play its part in the corporate mezuzah. It was given to you so that you may reach for the stars with us and fulfill what God has spoken to this body about the region of a swan. That's why the map is at the front of the church or the back of the church, however you view that. We display it so that you are always reminded of what we are aimed at as a body. Tonight, we want you to capture what it means to know the value of your mezuzah and its role in this body. You're not here by accident. You are here because God has given you something that this body needs and ultimately that the region of a swan needs. If you don't see it yet, then we've already given you the tools on how to identify your value and how your mezuzah fits in with this overall mezuzah, the mezuzah of LCM. And this is what it looks like. Step one, study the word, swim in it, eat it, devour it every day, all day. All day. Step two, do what the word says and kill anxiety by arming yourself with an expectancy to suffer. Step three, teach others to do the same. Step four, go to work building security in your home and in this body. Step five, remember the promises that God has given you and given this body. Step six, immerse yourself into the value and mezuzah of this body. And doing all of this, God will breathe into your soul revival and the value and function that you have within this body. When you take hold of what God has called you here for, I promise you, this evening, if you cry out to God and ask him to help you, he will breathe the breath of revival into your very lungs. That is so good. That is so good. We are one body, and everyone should be deeply concerned about the one building next to him, right? We cannot succeed with only a few families putting in the work. This is LCM, though. And everyone is eager to do the legwork. Oh, yeah. We see it every time we have a building project. But you know what? We have a long-term building project on that map. Yeah. If one of us suffers, then all of us suffers. If a brother is rejoicing, then we rejoice together as a family. The Hebrew writer is going to help us out with the practical application of this in Hebrews 3, picking up in verse 12. Verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Man, thank God that's in the word. Yes. (laughs) But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end 
the confidence we had at first. Church, can you say, I need my brothers and my brothers need me? I need my brothers and my brothers need me. I hope you're catching that in this verse, your relation to fellowship in this body is directly related to you being led astray. You get that? It's indicative. But church, we need our brothers. I need you guys, and you guys need me. Yeah. This is how we do. Come on. It's worth asking yourself, what is working the most around your life? Are you inundated with sin's deceitfulness or with the encouragement towards your brothers? Are you being overcome by the deceitfulness of sin or are you overcoming by encouraging others to stand together? You see, this is how we stand shoulder to shoulder. When we put off our deceitful hearts and we begin to speak Abigail to one another and build them up. When we begin to attack one another, that's indicative of sinful deceitfulness inside of us. But when we stand shoulder to shoulder, we're building each other up. Standing shoulder to shoulder and calling out others to come and join the work on our section of the wall is God's redemptive plan. That is how we're going to get from one life to one family to one nation. Church, give it all of your effort, and we will see the Lord strengthen us to finish what he entrusted us with. Give it all tonight. I don't want to get into a long story again, but I remember praying and asking the Lord. I was desperate, did not know where to go. He was highlighting LCM. I had a temptation to completely waste my life and completely blow it all on a career job in Port Lavaca, Texas. But the Lord spoke to me and he said, if you don't repent, you will wake up at 60 years old and realize you wasted your life. You know what my prayer was? Lord, I want to give you my best years. I don't want to return at the end of my life. I want to give you my best years. Come on. And church, can I tell you, I've had to come back to that prayer many times sitting in this room. I've had to be reminded of, Lord, I still want to give you my best years. But church, I want to say to you that just because you're young, that doesn't indicate best years. These are our best years now. These are our best years because we're together. We're building together. God has called us here. He's given us mezuzahs that form a corporate mezuzah. These are our best years, church. Let's make good on that prayer over and over again. We have to remind ourselves the attitude that we started with, though. We have to remind ourselves the confidence that we had when we first walked into this room. When we first made up our minds and heard from the Lord to be called to this body, we have to be armed with that same attitude and zealously build together. Church, this is how we do. We give it our best years, all of our effort. Church, as we turn to 1 Timothy 4 and we approach a close this evening, which hopefully is a beginning for many in this room. Let me ask a quick question, something I've been reflecting on. With so many things going on, all the teachings, all the daily duties, all the fellowship, all the meetings, do you find yourself halfway devoting yourself to several things? I know I have. So if this doesn't apply to you, you can, you can just glean from my life because you will be in that situation. Church, that's no way to build a wall. Devote yourself with every ounce of your being, your best years, and all of your energy into a couple of things that the Lord has ordained for you to do. He's given us promises that we have a leg of the race to complete, but we're not going to do it in a day. So every day has ordained tasks, and whatever those tasks are, devote yourself with all of your heart to it. Even if it's a 30-minute task of, I have 30 minutes to sit down into the and sit down and read the word, Lord, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to give you all I got. I'm going to give you all my focus, all my heart, all my devotion, Lord, all my affection for these 30 minutes because that's what I have and you're going to get all of it. Or how about husbands with your wife? You're on a lunch break and you have an hour, but you're tired and you're thinking about all the things you have to do at work and all the things you have to do after work and this meeting and that meeting and this study and this memorization and whatever it is. Man, and you just halfway devote yourself to talking to your wife, ministering to your wife. I want to be the man that says, you know what? Those promises are sure as the sun will rise tomorrow because he's been fulfilling them throughout the ages since he gave the promise to Abraham. And it'll be the same for me. Lord, 
Help me devote this one hour to my wife, and I'm going to give it all I got. Lord, strengthen my hand, strengthen my mind that she might receive what you have given me to give her. You guys in 1 Timothy 4, another visual for you guys. We talk about standing shoulder to shoulder and rejoicing when we rejoice, mourning when we're mourning, weeping when we're weeping. You ever consider what might be happening when a body rejoices together and mourns together? And what if one person's rejoicing and one person's mourning? How, how do they join together? Well, let me give you a visual. Shoulder to shoulder can also mean standing hand in hand. And if we were all standing together holding hands and one family began to rise and rejoice, what would that do to your hands? It would cause them to rise. And everyone with them. If a family was struck with suffering or a tragedy and they began to mourn and stink a little bit, what might that do to your hands? But what's not going to happen for those families, especially those who are suffering and enduring hardship? They have a whole body connected together that will pull them back up. And when one family starts to rise, they're saying, I'm taking everyone with me. This is how we ascend and see the promises fulfilled. 1 Timothy 4.15 says, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. That's the 100% of everything I got, even if it's just for a few minutes or a few hours. So that everyone may see your progress and watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We are giving the best years of our lives yeah. to this work. And it is worth it. The best years, Mr. Tom. The best years, Paul. The best years, Josiah. We're giving the best years of our lives to the work, and it is worth it. 100%. We are studying, studying the word with all diligence, doing what it says, and teaching others from our experience with it. We are persevering in the same promise given to Abraham, given to Israel, and this body. And we will be victorious. Yeah. We are guarding and building up those gates to our hearts and helping each other in the building process. We are standing on the promises and we will suffer whatever is necessary to see them fulfilled together. Every household has a, piv- a pivotal role in the work. Yeah. And we see our, your rising courage to stand and do that work. We will continue to stand shoulder to shoulder until the very end, until we see that map covered with dots of families from LCM, from the One Association. Anxieties are bound to rise, church. We're not trying to pretend like they don't. No, but these things are what drive us to put our fear in the Lord and not in the circumstance. Yeah. We're being driven to stomp them out, to stop them wherever they stand. We are not pros at being anxious anymore. No, we suck at being anxious. Come on. Because we are learning to be faithful. Here's what we mean. We're no longer going to be pros at being anxious. We're going to become pros at being faithful. Come on! So you want to go pro. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is how we do it together. Notice when you're reading this slide, we're not just talking about each individual person becoming a pro. We're talking about this whole body becoming professional at being faithful. Come on. How we do that is by studying the word, doing what the word says. Then after those two things are accomplished, we teach others to do the same. We will build and guard the gates to our heart, the gates to the temple, and we will fortify together the areas the enemy last attacked this body. We will remember the promises that the Lord has given. We will be intimately aware and our eyes filled with vision towards what God has spoken. We are going to know the value of our mezuzah and its role within this body, and we're also going to know the value of this church's mezuzah and its role within the one association. We are going to stand shoulder to shoulder together, and we are going to stand shoulder to shoulder with the one association. Yeah. So we're going to take it one level deeper. Are you guys ready for that? Hey, we're in our final minutes, 
and we are going to rise together and rejoice in glory in the Lord as we grow in our professionalism at being faithful. We're going to be pros at being faithful and studying the word by showing earnestness, spudazo, to stomp every thought and pretension that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We're going to do the word by being eager to clear ourselves of our own justice and stomping on it with right actions that we learn from the word. Then we're going to teach the word, putting a stop to presumptuous miss, replacing with real indignation that stomps out the imaginary arguments or commitments or contentions. Build and guard the gates of your heart. We're going to do this by stopping uh, putting a stop to prescribed alleviation and by stomping with the fear of God. Remember the promises the Lord has given. Stop to pre, put a stop to preloaded outcomes that cause us to operate in perpetual faithlessness. We're going to know the value of your call and its role in the body. We will put a stop to predetermined expectations that are fantasies for the future and stomp with fervent zeal for the real work of God. And we're going to stand shoulder to shoulder with the saints that he's placed right next to you. Church, we will put a stop to predicted failure. It stops now. And we will stomp by quickly executing justice, getting back to the work in your God-given corporate mezuzah and standing shoulder to shoulder as we do it now our final passage is going to be philippians 4 and we want you to actually get closer together tonight tonight we can strengthen each other if you're wearied then come and be refreshed by your brothers don't miss this opportunity don't miss an opportunity to take one actionable step. Even if it's 20 minutes of an altar call, it's going to be 20 minutes of the most faithful, focused actions of your life. Church tonight, stand up with us. We will get closer tonight. Are we going to push shot? But even more than that, we're going to learn what it means to get hand-to-hand. -hand. Meaning, I know when my brother's rising, and I know when my brother is falling. Because we are hand-in-hand. -hand. I can feel it. I'm going with him. If you are weary tonight, then come and be refreshed by your brothers at this altar. If you are sick or weak in faith, have the elders come and lay hands on you. If you are rejoicing, well, you know what? We are going to rejoice together, and all the heavens are going to rejoice with us. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Church, as you are making your way to this altar... And our goal tonight is that every person is here worshiping together as one body. What we want to do is we want to rejoice in what the Lord is doing here. We want to rejoice in the renewal of vision that God is giving us. Am I the only one that was just struck by Sunday's message and hearing about the vision for the nations and realizing that God is doing it now? Am I the only one that is supremely proud to be a part of something that is making a global impact on this earth and supremely proud to be some, a part of something that's bigger than myself. Church, we want to renew that vision tonight. As we come together to this altar, we want to cry out. We want to feel what Abraham felt when he was looking at those stars. And we want to be filled with a hope and faith, but also an expectancy towards the hardships which will follow. We want to have our vision. We want to have our eyes full of what God wants us to see. Church, this is why we do what we do. Because of the vision that God has given this body. As we're coming forward, we want to be looking at this map. We want your eyes to be open that God has called every single person in this building to be a part of what God is doing on that map. Every person in this room, it's including you. 
You came to this church not knowing what's going to happen tonight. But God brought you here for a reason because he has a purpose for your life. All of us in this room, every one of us are here because we have a part to play in the vision that God is giving us. This is why we do what we do. This is where we do what we do. And this is how we do church. Come together and let's rejoice in God's holiness. Rejoice in God's vision and God's promise for what God has done and is doing and will do in this body. Mighty God, we thank you. And we seek to praise your name for what you're doing here. Lord, we ask that you fill our eyes with vision again. Lord, that you stir us up to fight together shoulder to shoulder yet again. Lord, that you give us the strength and courage to build together for what you're doing again and again and again. 